So, Chris, the people want to know our secrets. How did we get this podcast started? Yeah, kind of a crazy story. We were both coming into this from the YouTube side, have never really done anything podcast-wise. We looked around, found Anchor by Spotify, really great service. It's completely free to use. They have some great stuff that you can just upload straight onto the website. You can actually record on the website. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome back to another episode of So Rare in the States. We have our good friend Thomas on the line with us today. He is going to be our guest for today. He is MLS So Rare Scout. How are you doing today, Thomas? Hey, I'm, I'm doing great. Uh, I'm glad that we're just making this the Atlanta United pregame show today. Mm, he is a big Atlanta United fan, so we are definitely going to get into Joseph Martinez injury. Uh, we were recording this before the Charlotte Atlanta game, so we'll maybe get a few pregame predictions in there as well. Um, but really excited for the episode today. How are you today, Nashi? Doing good, mate. It's a, it's a brilliant sporting weekend. Apart from West Ham just getting pumped by Brentford, we had the Formula One last night here. We had the golf. We got the, we had the UFC. We got a bunch of games. It's been good. El Trafico. We will definitely get into El Trafico as well. So it it has been a really great weekend. We were actually away this weekend, so I got to see a bunch of games yesterday. So we will get into all of those as well. But first, really quick shout out to my my boys, the Pittsburgh Riverhounds, coming away with a four three win on the road in Tulsa. A big win, a great start to the season. If you uh, if you've never checked out a game before, they are fantastic. So definitely give them a little watch uh, if you ever see them on. Um, so we're going to hop straight into the games from this past weekend. Um, so I don't know how much of the games that you guys caught. Did you guys see anything specific that you wanted to to touch on? I think the few games that I was able to catch was FC Dallas. That I thought that was a great performance by the team, uh, as well as the New York Red Bulls game. And then I think the, the one that just made me facepalm so hard was definitely the, the game with Columbus and uh, the goalkeeper just making a really terrible error to, to give what ended up being the only goal of the game for Philadelphia. Yeah, that was definitely a tough one. I was watching that as well. And our, our guest from last week, Bob, was uh, going nuts in the Discord. Um, yeah, he, he said it was it's a good thing he wasn't on the pod this week because he would have been going absolutely nuts on Eloy Room. It was a horrific oh. own goal. Um, I don't even know, was it the worst own goal of the day? I mean, we had the other one. Uh, who was it, too? It was it was at the New York game where the yeah. goalie just, yeah. I, it was, oh, it was no. definitely a lot worse because he just caught it and he just kind of like bounced the ball into the net, in his own net. Yeah, it was almost <laughs> a dribble backwards into his own net. It was right, absolutely like I, absurd. I, just, I hadn't seen anything like that for a while. I think the only one I can think of that could be worse that comes to mind is I think a few seasons back when the Minnesota, no, it was uh, Sean Johnson when he just kind of kicked into his own goal. Mm. Yeah, there were yeah, some it wasn't, classic own goals. It wasn't, a, um, it wasn't a glamorous weekend for the uh, MLS goalkeepers, was it? I think there was 36 goals in the 10 games. So, I mean, it's brilliant for entertainment. New fans like myself coming into the league can't beat that. But yeah, there's some suspect defending and goalkeeping going on. There Definitely. was a lot of craziness going on. I was watching the Portland-Vancouver game at MLS after dark. Oh, my goodness. I mean, Dahomey had the most roller coaster of a game that I think you could possibly have. So instead of starting up top, he starts at, like, right wing back. Then he gives away a penalty, which is which was horrific. He wasn't close to the ball at all. Like, really didn't even need to. Like, the guy was completely corralled by everybody else clatters into him runs him over the referee missed it too somehow had to go to var to give him the penalty and then they score the penalty Dahomey comes back down the other side and scores to make up for it so now he's back to you know even back to even undecisive and then uh they drew another penalty and Dahomey takes it and he misses the penalty couldn't put the ball in the back of the net and just a wild wild game Portland ends up winning 3-2, I think. And there was one more penalty, right? Yeah, and then yeah, somebody else drew a penalty and Gall actually got to take it. Um so obviously Gall doesn't have a card yet, but if you had a Gall, you'd have been mad that he didn't get a decisive for drawing the penalty that Dahomey missed and then he ends up uh taking the penalty in the end. 
Um, so yeah, wild game. Portland wins three two, and honestly, I don't remember them having a great chance outside of Niasgoda just completely killing Flo Youngworth. Just absolutely put him on a put him on a turntable. It was horrific. Um, so that was one of the games I watched. I watched a bunch of games though. Let's talk about the Dallas game for a minute because I did I did watch that one as well. What are your thoughts on Colorado? Because I think they've they, they've kind of had like they're in a decent spot points wise, but I don't feel like they're playing that well. Yeah, it just seems like one of those teams that could maybe they play well at home, but on the road they don't they don't seem to do as well. I think Dallas has also just been a very strong team to start the season so far. Even with Paul Ariola on the bench, they still managed to put up points. And then I think whenever he came on, it actually even bumped the attack up a little bit more. And then of course Jesus Ferreira. He's, I think he's at least tied for Golden Boot now, right in MLS. He's he's very good, and uh, I'm very very happy to at least own one of his limited cards. Did you see? I think it was Cervenia had an absolute crack from outside in the oh first half. Oh my god! Huh? Yeah, that was. And then what's crazy about that one was they had him on at halftime, and they talked about they were practicing that set piece in practice, right? Like that right. wasn't just out of the blue. That was. We're going to have you shoot it from like 35, 40 yards out. And it just goes right into the top of the net. Goalkeeper had they, no uh, chance. you got to look at a goalkeeper for that one. I did see that game. and the mm-hmm. key, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't have been happy with a keeper. It was a good strike. Don't get me wrong. But he, uh, yeah, he had a long way to watch it, didn't he? Yeah. It definitely came from a long way out. That's for sure. He, I feel like you could you could do a little bit better with that. But still, give him all the credit in the world to Cervania for even attempting it and much less pulling it off. Um, yeah, really great game. I think we talked about last week how uh, Velasco will be a really good addition because he pairs so well with Jesus Ferreira. And I think we see a little bit of the all-around. I actually didn't think Velasco had a great game yesterday, but you can still see the all-around potential uh, for those two specifically in a U23 team and uh, and the entire Dallas attack in general. Um, Nashi, have you gotten to watch much Dallas? Do you know much about Dallas yet? Um, I I watched a few of their games early in the season, and they were kind of uh, they felt like a team to me that were they had the potential. Like if just a couple things click, they could just do really good things for the season. They could just take it to the next level. But they were kind of just not not quite getting it done. There was kind of some iffy results, like not quite gelling. But it seems like they're getting more and more in their stride. And the way that the sort of the structure set up in the MLS, I, I kind of think that they can be one of them dangerous teams that. If things click on on their day, they could just go off and kind of they, they can score goals, which is like obviously a main thing. And uh, yeah, I, I like the look of them. I think they're just one of them dangerous teams where yeah, if they can put it all together and keep some consistency, I think I think they'll be one of the top sides. Yeah, I think definitely as we get towards the playoff time, I think they're a team that nobody really wants to play, and especially if they end up getting a home game, I think they could they could really make some noise in the playoffs. I mean, what? Obviously, once we get to playoffs, everything's kind of a crapshoot at that point, right? Like, it's just one-off games. You never really know how things are going to go. But Dallas is definitely a team that would scare the bejesus out of me if I had to play them, especially if I had to play them on the road. Um, And, I mean, looking at some of their results, like 2-0 win over Nashville, that's a lovely result. 4-1 win over Portland, that's a lovely result. 3-1 win over Colorado, lovely result. All those games were at home. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that surprised me is that in the past, they haven't really been able to draw great home crowds, but uh, something clicked, and I guess their marketing department's able to get people to drive out to Frisco, Texas, which isn't just around the corner if you're in Dallas. But I was really impressed with the atmosphere last night for the Dallas game, and I've seen games on TV where they had sold-out crowds, and it was a great crowd. They just haven't been able to get that consistently. Versus now, I think they're really, they have brought some exciting players in and they have some great crowds coming that are making a lot of noise and not making it easy for any team to play on the road there. Yeah, that was one thing. I, I love that you brought up about the crowd because that was one thing that I kind of noticed yesterday. Even like Vancouver, which typically has a really nice crowd, New York Red Bulls didn't really have a great crowd, but the Dallas crowd was actually out in full force. So I, I love that you brought that up. Um, and that's definitely something that we'll have to keep an eye on. Typically, you're going to get more and more attendance as you get later and later into the season. So for them to be able to pull that kind of crowd this early is is pretty special. I'm, I'm really looking forward to uh, to how they end up doing. 
What else did I watch yesterday? Let me pull up the. Did you guys? I, did you guys I watch the um, Orlando Chicago? I didn't. I didn't catch that one. I did catch some of the highlights. I know that Gutierrez got two yellows, right? And then yeah, I mean them. Them yellow cards were soft, to be generous. The the first one, he's kind of like right at the start of the game, first five minutes, sort of trudging away from a free kick, and the the guy just plays it off him, and the ref straight yellow card. And the next one is kind of a counter attack. I mean, it's a bit more justifiable, but given the circumstances and the and the first yellow is very harsh because he, he's kind of just bundled into the back of someone, um, you know, like just on the edge of the other team's box, basically. And yeah, just give him another yellow and he, he was off. But he, he actually looks a really good young player um, for Chicago. Yeah, so I, I saw he had, a, he had a great ball to, to create an opportunity that um, was being posted on Twitter. And then I, I, I saw the manager as well. He just looked absolutely livid after that second yellow was given to send him off. Yeah, it was way it was way too soft and, and it just kind of it was it was a close competitive game and you could feel from from like the Chicago side, which obviously I'm coming from, they didn't have their full they were missing some key pieces. Um Shakiri was out, um Chichos was out, and I think Herbers was injured too. So they've been three starters for the season. And they started a little bit disjointed, but they were just building into the game and then obviously that that red card um, killed them, but they, was, they were resilient. They didn't get blown out after that. Obviously, they gave up a goal. There's some interesting on the Orlando side. I actually thought um, Pato looked, looked pretty good, and so did Perea, uh, the number 10 there. Obviously, once you go down against 10 men, them kind of creative players are going to really take over the game. And uh, Cara, got, Cara got on the score sheet as well. So it was, from an Orlando perspective, I think it was some promising signs there. Did uh, either of you pick up on that? Yeah, so I was going to actually ask you what you thought about Orlando, so you kind of preempted me there. Um, I want to ask uh, Thomas here real quick, though. So uh, you, you obviously Orlando and, and Atlanta are, are pretty big rivals, if people don't know that. Um, and Nani has always been in Orlando, and he's always started the season off like blisteringly hot. And then it gets to that Orlando summer where it's 95 degrees and 100% humidity, and those old lakes just don't carry you as well. Do you think that's going to happen with Pato, or is there a chance of that happening with Pato? Is this like a time to sell high on Pato? It's hard to say. I think it's one of those cases, too. It's not just been when Nani was there. Orlando, over and over, has started out seasons very hot, and then come summertime, come the latter half of the season— they really start to struggle. Yeah, it's probably not fun to play in that that humidity and that heat in the in the middle of summer. So I think that any player is impacted by that. Not just an older player or a young, you know, or a middle of the road player. It's it's never easy to 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 do that on a consistent basis. Um, I've played in that type of humidity before. It's not great, but I think it's one of those cases where it's. Even if his value is super high, we're also about to ha have a bunch of cards potentially drop here, who knows, soon. So if you're trying to sell them, might be the last chance you really have to get good value on your 2021 cards for him before, you know, the, the new cards hit the market. So Yeah, I think that's a good point, too. We do expect Not financial advice. To... Yeah, not financial advice. Um, yeah, we do expect the prices to drop a little bit once we do get new cards. And even just as the season goes on, typically prices drop because there's just less and less chances for you to use them over the course of the year. So, um, yeah, potentially a, a spot to sell high on Pato. Um, I do like some of the other Orlando players, so we'll have to keep an eye on those. I'm just going to really quickly run through, because I was watching all day yesterday. Um, I, I, I caught a little bit of the Miami-New England game, um, and that was just dreadful. I mean, New England has New England's got to get something figured out. I mean, I know that they don't have a ton of depth and they're missing Bo and Buxa in this game, but you still can't lose to Miami. Um, and it wasn't even, I mean, it scoreline was three, two. It really wasn't that close either. Like new England got a penalty that in my opinion, they shouldn't have gotten And Miami for all the talk about Gonzalo Higuain being a great player. And he is a great player. This looked like a completely different side with him out quote unquote injured yesterday. Um, did you guys see this game? Did you, you want to comment on this game? I caught yeah. the highlights. Yeah, I, I had it on like in the background, and uh, yeah, the same kind of thing. I, I think um, Campagna is it. Obviously, he got on the score sheet as well, but he's a bit more mobile than Higuain is, and and you know, like 
especially at home, you want to sort of spot fast. You want to put pressure on every team. And New England are in a they have a run of bad form. Their confidence is not higher. And, uh, you know, just, just that movement being a problem, being a nuisance, I guess is kind of the difference. Maybe it doesn't have the quality of Higuain, but in this game against this opposition where, you know, you want to get them on the back foot, they're in a, you know, like I said, their confidence might not be high at New England right now. You want to put doubts in them. You want to put pressure on them. And I think, yeah, like like you said, it, it kind of paid off. The whole team kind of looked a little bit more cohesive than, you know, because Higuain's not famed for his uh, work rate. Let's put it that way. <laughs> That's one easy, nice way to put it. Not famed for his work rate. Um, and just quickly before you move on from this game, just to point out how absolutely absurd this league is and how crazy this league is, the bottom three in the East right now are David Beckham's team, the defending Supporter Shield winners, the regular season champs, and the defending MLS Cup champs. Just to throw that out there as far as how absolutely absurd and unpredictable <laughs> this league can be. Um, yeah, I think Yeah, I was going to say it's, it's one of those cases where CCL teams, it's no news that they struggle early on in the season. I think that possibly has something to do with just the roster limitations and not being able to have as large of a roster you might need to really put out consistently good teams and not get your, you know, not overtire your players. I think with New York, it's one of those cases where they've definitely had some players who have not been 100%. They've either been playing a lot of international games or they've been out injured. And then same for New England, although I think Matt Turner missing is been a major factor for them and it definitely makes me think about going into the summer when he does move permanently how does that team look without him and this new goalie that they brought in this week yeah that's a good point I mean I don't I don't know anything really about the new goalie but he can't be any worse than Edwards and Knighton have been Knighton actually didn't look too bad the last game that I saw him but this game he was dreadful um so yeah I mean New England has got to get something figured out uh, New York obviously has had a bunch of people injured and they're still in the Champions League. Like that's the thing. New England has only played two Champions League games. So you're right. Like MLS teams don't have a ton of depth. They, because of the salary cap, you have to invest in your starting 11 if you want to have a competitive team. So you don't really have a great, a great bench or a deep bench. And it really shows with the CCL teams, pretty much all of them struggled. And um, yeah, so that's uh that's a good point there. Um, so moving on, I did catch a little bit of Montreal against the Red Bulls. Um, nothing really crazy there except for the own goal, which we talked about a little bit earlier. Um, good for Montreal, though, to get off, off the schneid a little bit. We talked about CCL teams as well. Montreal had a nice nice little run there, put up a good fight against the Mexican team, and, uh, and they get their first win of the season to get off the bottom of the table. Um, Philly and Columbus, we talked about the own goal there. How about Philadelphia's start to the season? I think they've won five in a row. They have one draw on opening day, and then they've won five in a row. Is this the best team in the MLS this season? To me, it's just crazy that they did cycle some players out, and there was a lot of question marks about new players they were bringing in. But year in and year out for the past couple of years, at least, Philadelphia has has been consistently good. And there's really nothing to say they, they can't keep this going. They I was a little worried for a second there. Andre Blake, he took a really nasty bump where he just basically slammed his shoulder into the goalpost when making a save but he ended up playing the entire 90 he's a fantastic goalkeeper and then you have some great some great forwards up top I uh, still can't believe that they got it Carranza I still can't believe they got him for that money just the I think just really great moves by the front office there which is what when I think about Cincinnati I'm like well if they took the people from Philly Maybe they can replicate that success because they've been very strategic with the players they acquire and also getting academy players into the lineup. Yeah, I think that's a great point. You bring in, and I don't think they've anyone they've ever had anyone as quote-unquote talented as Carranza and Ure. Um, and these guys really aren't even fully integrated in the team yet, which is super scary. Um, obviously, you lose Jamira Montero, but this team just looks so good. They have so, I mean, look at the bench. They have Paxton Aronson, Quinn Sullivan, Jack McGlynn all coming off the bench. Like that is a for an MLS team, that is a really decent bench. So yeah, I, I am excited to see how Philadelphia goes on. And then obviously this one a little closer to home for our, our good friend Nashi. We had El Trafico yesterday. What are, what were your first thoughts? Did you get to see the game, first of all? What were your first thoughts on, on your first El Trafico, Nashi? Yeah, yeah, I watched the game and first thoughts were it was a brilliant game in terms of entertainment, intensity. It was a 
you know, like the the rivalry itself isn't being oversold. It, it, you know, you could tell on the pitch as well. The players were uh, trying to win. There was tackles flying in. It was a hundred mile an hour. Um, in terms of standout players, again, and and it, it kind of rolling back to uh, last week when we talked about like what is the differential of them top quality players. And when you when you look at Chicharito, his movement for his last two goals, one last week and the one this week. If you're watching as like a someone newer to maybe soccer or like the the league, the MLS, you might miss that in terms because it doesn't stand out necessarily. But they're the things that are getting him at his age, the amount of goals he's still getting. You know, it's kind of like uh, people look at Thomas Muller and you from the outside, you're like, how is this guy so good? You know, he's so good. You know, he's won all these things playing at the top level, but he never like stands out but he's so clever and his movement is world class and he's got two goals in the last week purely off of just world class movement and you don't lose that he might have lost half a step and the other thing that he hasn't lost that I noticed is his hunger and his passion and that really came through this game so he got subbed off and he managed to get a yellow card from the bench and that is I absolutely love that like he that shows passion he's you know he's a star player he's done everything in his career and he's on the bench and he's still moaning that the referee dissent in at decisions. It was a crazy end to the game. I don't know if you guys saw that, but um... yeah, walk me through that because there was a controversial offsides call, right? Yeah. I, I thought it was offside. It was kind of like a weird one. I mean, they, the ref came over and took a look at it. And I guess it was like a little bit subjective because there'd been like a couple of deflections on the way through from the initial pass. But it, I, yeah, for me, I mean, it was, I was leaning, so it could, it could have gone either way, but I think it was a fair call offside. But the drama was obviously insane. It was in something like the 96th minute, and uh, 98. And yeah, minutes. obviously, it's, yeah, such a big game and such a big moment. Um, I didn't, I didn't envy being in the referee's position there because you, you know, it's a lose lose once you get up to to take a look at it. But um, yeah, the 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 luck went with Galaxy, I guess, in this way. And I thought, I thought they kind of. Uh, deserve the win and, and 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 sort of continuing on that with the galaxy i think they're a team kind of like when i was talking about dallas where i'm watching them and they're not blowing teams away and they're getting a few dodgy results right now but i think they're really close to doing something special this year and that it kind of the things i'm learning about the mls from you chris is when i look at who like douglas costa's injured vasquez has been in and out and their bench in terms of impact really stands out to me because they're bringing Grand Sir and Efren Alvarez. And for an MLS team to have that, they're both starting players for me in the MLS in, in most teams. And to be able to bring them off the bench in a creative role, um, how big of an impact do you think, how important do you think that is for them? You are 1000% right about them having one of the best benches in the league. And I think it's really worth noting Last year, L.A., pretty decent team. They're right on the playoff line because they could not keep a ball out of their back of their own net. I think Bond had maybe like one shutout last year. It was horrible. They were like third from the bottom in terms of goals conceded. This year, totally different story. It looks like a brand new team. They haven't really changed any of the players, but I guess year two under Greg Vanny, Mark Delgado's making a big uh, a big push there. One of your guys, Nash, I know you like Ravellison. Um, that midfield has really shorn things up, and they look much more calm and under control at the back. And to your point, they have a deep bench. Like you lose a guy like Douglas Costa, and you bring in Samuel Grandsir, and he has two assists in the in this game. Like it's huge. It's huge to have that in, especially in the MLS. Absolutely, and and even at the like you said about defensive stability, they look a really well with them two sitting in. I mean, Delgado was missing yesterday, but. With them two sitting in, their their fullbacks are really impact players too. Edwards and Araujo. Araujo's had a bit of an inconsistent start, but Edwards has been absolutely flying uh, this season. And it really they really have like a, a nice balance because they get the wingers can carry the ball. They're quality players. You've got Costa. Cabral's have been a bit hit and miss, but like you said, Grand Ser Alvarez. And they really can carry the ball, hold the ball, hold possession, bring it inside. And the fullbacks have been really impactful. And, um, yeah, I was going to say, they just got Williams back. And he had a brilliant game last week, a great clearance off the line. I don't know if you saw that. And he looked really strong again 
coming back into the team fitness. They got Kulabai and Depoy had a decent start to the season. Like you said, he, he they've got depth because he Depoy is going to come off the bench and he's not going to he's not going to let you down. He's reliable, you know. If you pick up an injury or a suspension, which is going to happen over the season, so. Yeah, long story short, I'm really, uh, I guess, bullish on the Galaxy. They'll be. I don't feel like I know enough in the MLS to put my neck on the line, but if I was going to, um, on sort of a team that's kind of boiling up, ready to do something, I'd say the Galaxy looked pretty interesting to me. They're definitely a team that has had a wonderful start. We'll, have, we'll definitely have to see if they stay healthy, because obviously Chicharito has had his injury concerns. Um, and they've they've got Douglas Costa out. They've got I think Mark Delgado had a had a red card yesterday. But Vasquez has been out. And I think Vasquez is out for a while, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, no, no, they, he 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 um he started yesterday. Vasquez? Yeah, yeah. He 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 uh he he had like a knock, but he, he only played like 60 minutes. But he he's you know he's 36, is he? So he's gonna yeah. manage his minutes and probably yeah. pick up a few. For some uh, reason, I thought injury. he like tore his ACL or something. I thought he had a like a real big injury. I guess not. My bad. Um, so yeah, so we, so crazy El Trafico, three goals could have been more, obviously the crazy offside. You're talking about Chicharito getting a card from the bench. There were 11 yellow cards in this game. So it was definitely a rivalry for sure. Looking forward to the return leg back in LAFC sometime a little bit. I think it's in July. Um, so we'll definitely look forward to that, but that was a a pretty good wrap up. I think of, of what happened for this week. So we'll kind of get into the, the meat of the conversation here. And one of the topics that I wanted to kind of touch on, I've gotten a lot of questions from people who maybe this is their first season in, in MLS, or this is their first season in SOAR in general, trying to figure out how, you know, how many rewards they should be expecting. I've got a lot of messages like, Hey, my team is like not doing very well. I don't think I'm, I don't think we're really that good. I'm going to sell on my team. I'm like, no, you actually have a pretty decent team. You just need to be very patient Um, So what are the kind of realistic rewards that you should be expecting? I know both of you guys have been on the platform for, for quite a while. Um, What are the kind of, kind of rewards that you expect from your team, Thomas? Yeah. So for me, it's based on how much have I really put into this team? If this is a team where I've just been trying to piece together enough players that I think can like get me over 200 with a limited goalkeeper, then if I'm not winning, you know, 0.01 ETH every week, I'm not too terribly surprised. And if it's a team where I've spent, you know, money on getting a top quality striker, top goalkeeper, you know, basically just blowing the budget on that on this one team, then yeah, I think there's an expectation that I'll at least be in the the running for a tier three every week. Personally, I'm I'm more of the wait for the season to go. And really wait for summer because I think that's where a lot of uh, opportunity pops up because there's way less leagues playing. There's also going to be the opportunity to really just use your knowledge of a league that may not be as popular compared to some of the top European leagues to make the most of it. And then that's one of the things you have to consider is that it is a long year. If you're not getting something week in, week out, you're not necessarily doing wrong. I mean, how many entries do we have into All-Star Limited now? I, I don't know off the top of my head, but I can tell you quite quite a few. For, for Limited, speaking of that, I'll just say that I do have a little bit of a higher expectation, but that's because I put a little bit more down to, to try and get a reward at least every week. I play quite a few Limited Leagues. I think I have at least a team going into every Limited Challenge except for the European Champion. So there's an expectation that at least one of these groups are going to hit it right this week. But it's really <laughs> tough when it comes to the rare side. So on but, your so Thomas, team, you, Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to wind it back. Like, um, I don't really know either. So your your strategy coming into the game, what you joined um, quite early on. And what was kind of your strategy coming into the game? Um, did you just focus MLS? Like, you know, yeah. Just talk, talk me through that. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll kind of give you a little bit of a backstory. So I, I joined on the platform August 2020, and the only reason I think I even found so rare was I was just on OpenSea, and I was looking at the highest volume NFTs that are hitting the market right now, and I see so rare, and then I just see that there's a bunch of MLS players, which I thought was really cool, just because I was a big MLS, I'm a big MLS fan. So 
pretty much I just hit on and started buying some of the MLS players that I thought were relatively good players for lower price. But I honestly didn't really understand how the platform worked that well yet. And I was very casual about it. I think I might have won, you know, five rewards to that. Yeah, it was like five rewards that fall. But that was also when it was way less competitive. It was right before we hit the big the big number of new players coming in in spring 2020. Versus once we got a large influx of players, I definitely saw my rewards go down quite a bit. And my strategy still was I was really just trying to hit 0.02 ETH. And I was looking at players such I wasn't looking to try and just fill my play, my team with the best players, all attacking midfielders, all center forwards. I was looking at players like Darlington Nagby, who's just going to have really great all-around scores. He'll have like one or two goals a year, maybe one assist. But he's at least going to keep me in the running. Same with a player like Alexander Ring. So not players that are just going to stand out and be the top of everyone's list, but ones that can really just keep you in the running. And then maybe you have that one week where everyone just hits it right. Clean sheets, maybe a defender gets a goal. You have a great, your forward manages to get a goal and assist. And then that's that's one of those cases where I say, great. Honestly, I was averaging maybe, gosh, I don't know, maybe 10 or maybe eight to 10 rewards max a season. And that was like my best season. And a lot of those times it was a tier three. I think once or twice I hit tier one and I don't know how I managed to do this, but I got the exact same goalkeeper twice who ended up losing a starting spot, which was, that's just part of the game. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's kind of my strategy is really to not just break the bank, but to be very strategic and be patient. So it sounds like, yeah, you're going for a little bit of consistency and then hoping that you get that. You've kind of got a base score from your guys and hoping that one week, a couple of them sort of outperform, get a decisive, something happens, and then you get a good shot at those rewards. Has there ever been a time where you've considered changing your strategy, like a bad run of performances, like in terms of like, I go through the same thing where, you know, it's nice to have the guys that are going to guarantee you a 55 because it just feels like, all right, I'm still in it. And I've got a couple guys who are kind of boom or bust. If they don't get a decisive, they might get a lot of them. But if they don't, they've got a 35. And if you're playing anything above um, the All-Star League, you get one player with a 35, you're struggling to, to have a shot. you know. And it's the worst feeling in the world. Your first guy goes out and had one of them weeks this week. He gets a 35 and your whole team's dead. You know, There's no excitement for the weekend. Have you considered much changing your strategy or have you been pretty steadfast um, throughout? Yeah, I've thought about it. You see those teams where it's, Basically, it's like Ferreira, uh, Bo, Chicharito, all on the same squad, right? But you also look at how much money went down into to buying that. And I, I'm someone that likes to spread my, my investment out a bit. I don't like to just put it all into one player. And then if that player gets injured or that player happens to just have a, a bad run of games, it really just messes up your, your entire strategy. Because to me, I, I see it as an opportunity where if I invest in multiple players and maybe some of them I know I'm not even going to maybe start right now, but I have some, I think they're going to be great players down the road. Then at least I'm managing to earn more ETH by selling them on the secondary market. I'll also say that uh, I, right now I'm kind of going through the same thing where I've had some, some rare teams where it's just every single week, it seems like someone's out or just someone's underperforming. And I think it's one of those cases where I just say, look, we're about to have, a drop of brand new MLS cards for so rare. And you're going to have a lot of new players that people outside of those that pay attention to MLS may know nothing about. And so that's great opportunity. If you have that, that knowledge, that insight to say, yeah, this player, he's fairly unknown because no one's ever seen him on so rare yet. So let's go ahead and pick him up. And then we think he has a great season going forward. And there's opportunity in the offseason and the summer transfer window even to to sell that player and then reinvest that money into other players. So I, I kind of treat it like a, a little bit like, I don't know if I call it stocks, but um, just making sure that I'm diversified and not putting all my eggs in one basket. You're, you're definitely a trader like me as well. Um, and I think that's a good point to not 
kind of overextend yourself and kind of play within your means. And I think I made that point on, on John Nellis's podcast a little while ago is to just be smart and don't, you know, yes, heal gives you a little bit better chance to win, but he's also 10 times more expensive than everybody else on the platform. So unless you can afford that, don't, don't try to extend yourself to, to go and get that guy. And I think that's a really great, um, a really great point for you to make. And I want to, you, you talked about new MLS cards coming out here, and I want to uh, kind of get your your thoughts. We talked about this with Bob a little bit last week, but who are your guys that you're kind of looking forward to coming on to the platform? Some of the maybe undervalued, no-name type guys that you're talking about. Yeah, it's funny because I don't even know if there are no names. Like, to me, they're big names. But I just think that there is a gap in knowledge for some players on so rare when it comes to MLS, if they're not closely following it. So for example, like Talis Magno, he's someone that I've been very excited about since I saw him play in person against Atlanta last season. And he's been having a fairly decent start of the season in his first year where he's getting consistent starts. I don't know if he's going to go for a lot whenever the market hits, but I do think that even if he does go for a bit more than uh, the average player in MLS, there's still more opportunity for him to grow because the way I see it is there's going to be that first wave of people who pay attention to MLS and then they see, okay, great, let's pick up these guys. And there's going to be that second wave of they see the numbers that come out and they see a player that didn't have a card before who will then have the, you'll have the ability to get him. Although, sorry, they'll see his scores and they'll say, well, wow, I got to pick this guy up. He might be a big player. So they kind of missed the first boat because they didn't have that, that insight in MLS. So I'll say like Velasco, Magno, uh, Torres from Orlando. There's a few academy players, Caleb Wiley. He's a Atlanta United Academy player. He plays for the US U-17s, I believe. And he was, I think he's fantastic. I think he has a lot of potential. He's not going to hit it this season because he's not going to be consistently starting this season. But he's someone that I'm kind of excited for, and I'll probably pick up his card for sure. Yeah, I mean, there's 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 quite a few out there. Like y'all talked about Gold. There's uh, the Campania. He, I think, has a lot of quality. And then just a lot of the strikers that have been coming into MLS from other leagues, like uh, Ure from for Philadelphia that don't have cards yet, but are going to be great players this season. Yeah, I think that's a good point that you make about academy guys and guys that are not going to hit the mark this season. Their cards will be out, and I think typically you're going to want to wait until maybe the end of the season, maybe a little bit later in the season, if you're pretty sure they're not going to hit this year because those prices will drop, 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 and then you pick them up when they're low, and then going into next season, everyone goes, oh, well, he's a great prospect, so I'm going to pick him up, and his price absolutely skyrockets. I did that with Quinn Sullivan last year. I did that with a bunch of other guys. Um, So I have like a Quinn Sullivan at .001, and his price is like 10 times as high now. Um, He's not really playing that much, but – you know, he's still a great prospect. Um, I um, I think what you're both touching on there is, and it kind of ties back to your question about expectations for returns. And what separates so rare from other fantasy games is the fact you've got to look at it as a long-term game rather than daily fantasy, these weekly fantasy. They're more short-term expectations. And we're kind of programmed nowadays to think of everything you know, we want immediate results. And I kind of, when people come in and they're talking about, oh, well, I'm not quite, this has been a bad month, I can't win anything. And they've only been on for four weeks. You've got to be a little bit steadfast in your in your strategy and have a bit of belief in it. It's, you know, you've got to look at the end of the season. All right, what are my returns? And then if they're poor then, that's when you can really get a real sample size. Because like you said, there's, there's a lot of variance or luck in, um, in so rare week to week and you might go four week. you might have a team that's supposed to win a reward once every three weeks you might go six weeks without getting anything but then if in the next six weeks you might win two or three you know and you've actually caught up with where you're supposed to be but if you panic in them first you know that first little bad run and start overreacting or selling players or uh, going against your strategy you're going to have a hard time uh, on so rare and I think that's one thing that's one bit of sort of advice I'd give to new managers is to really 
treat it more long term. Don't panic, you know, a couple of bad weeks here or there over the course of the season. That's where you can really be your benchmark. And and like what you guys are talking about in terms of the long term, you're inherently and intuitively doing that by picking up these academy guys, using your knowledge to get a guy who might not win you a reward next week, but you might be able to sell him for more next season or in two or three years, he might be the guy that's going to get take your gallery to that level. And um, and yeah, that's like you can't put a number on uh, what somebody's like you said, Chris. What what someone what can they expect in terms of rewards? Because I guess we could talk about the factors that go into uh, your ROI, and that's going to be one your your footballing knowledge, your soccer knowledge that ties into skill. But then also you got your budget, and then there's another factor with so rare is or a couple factors. How much time are you willing to put in to check out injury news, to check out suspensions, to check out, you know, form, what the manager's releasing in press conferences? Do you like this player? Is is there some are the fans getting on the back of this guy? Is there pressure on him? All all this time is going to influence it too. You can't just buy your team and then think, oh, just stick these guys out every week. And um, also the matrix. The matrix took me a while. I don't know about you, Thomas. It, it took me a while to understand. I know football. And I was seeing some of these guys. I think, oh, he's a brilliant player. I'd buy him. And then I realized his all-round score was absolutely dust every week and he's going to do nothing for me. Did you have the same experience coming in, like learning specific so rare matrix as you applied it to, to soccer? Yeah, no, definitely. It's it's funny, too, because I think my strategy of going in and just finding out, finding those key players, which in traditional fantasy would be never be rewarded because – they might score two goals or might have two assists for the entire year. But they're one of the key factors of the team. They're the ones that are connecting the defense to the attack. And I always, I always like to cite Darlington Nagby because I think he's one of the best box-to-box midfielders in the league. Um, and he just has fantastic all-around scores week in and week out because he is a crucial player. And then that's where I kind of – that's actually what I liked about the game so much because – once I started looking at it and peeling back the, oh, this is how the scores are decided, it just made much more sense to me because it rewarded players who in your traditional fantasy games where there's maybe like eight or nine binary outcomes that decide the player's score, it just didn't seem fair to them to not say this player is extremely important to this team right now. Yes, yeah, I absolutely. Think... Go ahead, Nashi. No, you go, mate. I just wanted to really, just really quickly make the point um... – that yeah, we're talking about rewards and, and maybe not getting rewards, but that's not the only way to make money and get a return on the site. I know Thomas is really good at trading, and that's kind of what he's describing as buying low and selling high. That's something that I tend to do a little bit more, um, and that's something that I think we need to keep in mind. And now she's kind of kind of hitting at that as well as is getting young guys, getting guys that maybe don't. I mean, maybe he doesn't start right now maybe he doesn't maybe he's not even in the 18 not even in the team but he's still undervalued um as far as what his potential could be that's still a guy that you might consider picking up if you're especially if you're struggling and and you're having trouble with the rewards maybe if you want to change your strategy instead of trying to buy bigger players maybe you try to buy undervalued players instead like like uh, thomas is talking about let me put you on the spot for the people out there we gotta give them some of your knowledge is there one player right now that you're thinking comes to your mind that you think in the mls they're underpriced right now and a couple of reasons why i know that's put you on the spot but hmm. i think um i don't know actually to be honest i don't think i think i think mls is a bit overpriced at the moment <laughs> like a lot of the players who i've kind of called out like oh i think that's pretty good i mean i see them go up pretty pretty quickly i did see robbie robinson who played well yesterday, he's fairly underpriced right now. He's had a couple of very good games, and I don't know if Miami's going to, how consistent they're going to be. But I think I saw like a rare Robinson card was uh, for Robbie was like 0.11 ETH, which for a U23 forward that's starting and putting in assist, that's pretty solid. Yeah, and he's looked really good too. I'm glad you said that because... Had he asked me that question, that probably would have been my answer, except that I didn't think of it until you said it. And I'm not biased at all because he definitely went to Clemson, which is my college team, and he's a great player. 
but there's totally no bias. But I love that answer. It's a great answer. Funny enough, I was almost about to pick him up yesterday, and I just said, no, wait, wait for the new cards to hit. I did too. Players. It's, it's tempting, but I'm like, but it's Miami, and I don't really know what they are. I don't know if they're just like one good game and then bad the rest of the season, or is he going to have like this emergence, which that's one of those cases where it it's depends on what your risk threshold is. And that's why it's always important to be patient and to not just buy immediately. I saw yesterday when Andre Blake took a really hard knock to his shoulder, people started buying up the backup goalie. And then Blake ended up being fine. So I think it's one of those other cases too. I think John actually said this of like, don't just buy for the sake of buying. You know, really do your research and don't just like, you know, oh, got to get it now. Got to get it now. Because I've done the same thing. And I'll tell you, 95 percent of the time it wasn't that great of an idea and I, honestly you're talking about cards being really high at this point i'm selling for the sake of selling like i have so many guys that i would love to have in my team like somebody like bob actually messaged me yesterday he was like you sold your jordan morris and i'm like yeah i did i mean he, he just had a great game and his price went up like 20 percent. and i was like yeah that's fine give it get, get me get me a cash out right now and i'll get him back in july when his price is half of what it is now I mean, even if he goes on and is like league MVP, he's still going to have basically the same price. Like 0.25 is basically like league MVP, or at least in my view, like you should be in that conversation if you're that high. Um, so yeah, I'm happy to cash out and just sit and hold ETH or put it in Europe or, or do whatever as, as a trader, like I'm trying to sell as much as possible right now. Um, so yeah, I think that's a really but, good point about just don't buy it. But Chris, why, why do you think the, um, the prices are going to dip, um, pretty shortly? Obviously there's a new supply. Is that the, you think that's going to be enough to fill half these guys prices? What, in, cause in terms of coming from a so perspective, there really isn't much difference between, there's no real reason why a, um, top performing MLS player should be less than a top performing Eredivisie player if you're playing, you know, most people are playing the All-Star League. Mm -hmm. So in the summer, no utility for Europe, but you still think the prices are going down. I'm not disagreeing. I just, um, I, I, I don't know. I, yeah. I, I'd find it hard to predict. I still think it could go either way, potentially for some of these MVP guys. Um, what's your yeah. kind of thought process there? So that's, that's the, just the yearly cycle, right? Like, Cards always start out in the preseason um, and even a few weeks into the season at basically their peak, peak price. And then we get new cards, which kind of bumps them down a little bit. And then as you go throughout the summer, you get less and less utility, right? You have less and less games remaining. Europe is getting closer and closer and closer. So people slowly, so it's not like a drastic drop, but people slowly pull their money out of MLS and start putting it into Europe. Um, so I'm essentially just doing that ahead of time. I'm doing that before everybody else does it so that your cards are basically as low as they're going to get and the MLS cards are as high as they're going to get. So I'm going to switch my money to the other side and then the Europe is going to slowly rise throughout the summer as we get closer and closer and closer to their season and the MLS is going to drop as we get closer and closer or we get further and further away from the start of our season. Um, and I think the reason that happens is kind of supply and demand. Um, everybody who wants to have a summer team in the MLS for the most part probably has it already. I don't think there's going to be a ton of people buying new MLS cards. Like people plan ahead like a month or two in advance. So they're saying, okay, my, my Red Bull stack is going to be, or my Red Bull Leipzig stack, I guess I should be more specific, is going to be worthless in, in a month. I'm going to sell it and get an MLS team. And the closer we get to that point, the more that it kind of happens. Um, so I, I think a lot of people who have already, or who are going to play MLS in the summer have already gotten their teams. Do you have anything to add to that, Thomas? Yeah, so I, I pull a lot of data, actually, that looks at MLS card prices at a weekly basis. And one of the things I notice, or a couple of things that I notice, are that auctions, whenever we have higher auction value, it does tend to drop the price of the secondary market. And I think that's because there's no longer one source of setting the price for a player. We now have an auction market, which can be very unpredictable. And it tends to, I think, be cheaper to buy off the auction market than to buy off the secondary market. So if you look at some of the, I post some like Tableau visuals where it looks at the average price of MLS players over time. 
And as soon as we started having scouting season is when we started seeing a drop in the average price of players. And I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that's no longer are so rare managers the only ones setting the price of Jordan Morris for the market, right? We now have an auction market where someone can go in and then bid, and then it's up to however much someone else wants to come in and bid. So it's not just one person going in and having it set that price. I think, too, we've already, I think, seen for J-League and even K-League, because I have a few players that I bought that are from the 2021 season, that those cards are pretty at a discount compared to the, the new cards that are coming in. And it does appear like people value the per, that percentage bump you get from the new season quite a bit. And so I, I do think that it's definitely a supply and demand principle. We're just going to have a bunch of cards hit the market at the same time, but it's not going to be, it's going to be player by player. I think there's some players who will still see their price increase, pardon me, and that's just due to their performance. Or in some cases, like I think about our U23 keepers as we're going into the summer, we're basically going to have a very limited supply of U23 keepers that are eligible to be entered into U23 competitions, right? To me, that creates a supply shock, which would then thus increase the price. So that's why even though I paid like 0.1 for Hassal and it was at the height then, I still think there's even more potential for his value to go up just because there's only going to be like maybe 10 to probably less than 10, like five to 10 keepers total that are going to be starting U23 keepers for about two months this summer. That's the, so first, it, thing, that's the first thing you yep. said that I disliked because I just sold Hassal for like 0.15. So, uh, I mean, that's pretty that. solid. That's pretty <laughs> solid. Like, yeah, for a limited keeper, I was like, yeah, I, I should I should take this and, and go and find something else to, to put it in because I feel like if it's even if it's not peak, 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 it's pretty close to the peak. You know, like I'm not trying to hit peak, peak, peak. Uh, I'm just trying to like generally get it right. And and the prices that you pull are absolutely phenomenal. I know you post them on your Twitter, which is at MLS Sorer Scout. MLS underscore Sorer Scout. Is that right? Yeah. I've always thought about it. Like, should I just squish it all together? Probably. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know how the, how to write names or anything like that, but uh, that is a phenomenal account to, to, uh, to follow. He gives some really interesting data that is all original and uh, no one else really has. So if you don't already follow that, that is a great source for information specific to Sora card prices. Um, I um just to just to interject on the on the summer prices, just because I have a kind of a different perspective, and I guess it comes from my approach, and it goes to that long term thing. Is that like if you've got a guy that just hypothetically, if I think all right, Shakiri's just getting used to warming up, I think he's going to be a really high scorer in the league. For me, I'm not buying him to. I don't really care if his price goes to 10% of what he is now. I'm looking at what return can that yield me. And you're coming at from more of a trader's perspective, more in, you know, liquidity, you want to buy and sell at the right price. So if there a, like, do you think, like, one, I guess what I mean is I think the rewards in the summer are going to have a big impact on the price of these top guys in the MLS. Because if the global all-star rewards remain high and they're giving out big European cards, then there has to be a sort of someone who's uh, playing to make an ROI. There's going to be a price point for these top cards where they're going to now think, even if they weren't going to play MLS, even if they think the prices are going to go down, they're thinking, if I can get a, just hypothetically, a Carlos Hill, you know, a Russell, these top performing guys for a certain price that I now realize this is a clear way to win some top rewards. I still think there's a flaw in that sense of the top, top players. And we spoke about it before, Chris. I still think there's the top players, the big name players may not be hit as hard because the people are playing for the rewards more than the market value to, to trade short term are going to still see value in the guys that can, can compete and win them prizes. Because the season still goes until, you know, for the top players and the top teams, it's going to go way into the European season. So people playing... All-Star D3 and D4 are still going to have a lot of utility and opportunity to use these cards, even against the European uh, guys. So, yeah, I guess it's interesting to look at the two points of view there. You're you're 100% right about that, Nashi. The, from the trading side, why it still goes down is because 
all of that stuff is already baked into the price right now. Like you don't really have a ton of utility out of these guys now, and yet their prices are still so much higher than all the other MLS guys. So I think you do see that premium that European guys have or have been putting on MLS guys specifically for the summer. And you won't see nearly that big of a gap once we hit after the summer and there isn't that that utility for this year. Um, so I do want to move on really quickly because obviously Thomas is an Atlanta guy. He's followed Atlanta for quite some time now. Um, and they do have a game coming up here against Charlotte. We're actually recording before the Atlanta-Charlotte game. So first of all, I want to get what your predictions for the match are today. And remember, this comes out after the match, so people are going to judge you very hard if you are incorrect. And <laughs> um, and then we'll, we'll go from there. So go ahead. What are your predictions for today? Who's, who's going to come out on top? So my, my prediction is that Atlanta, in the last minutes of the game, win it just to put another stake in the heart of Charlotte. Wow. And, and if that happens, and- people aren't going to believe that we recorded this before. So it's a lose-lose either way. <laughs> I'm just going off of past history. Like This is, I think right now, it's funny because Atlanta's in their last at least three games, they've won or tied in the final moments of the match, which is crazy because last season, if you were watching, you were watching Atlanta blow 2 nothing leads and that they had the 80th minute to just very bad tactical decisions when we had a another manager named Heinze and or just like wonder goals. I mean, I still rocked by that goal Philly put against us from 30 something yards out. It was Klesnes who scored that. Klesnes. I mean, it was probably, I, I said this to my fiance, I said that was probably one of the greatest goals I'll, I'll ever see in, in person because it was just insane. And it just, it, you have to appreciate it, but, Wow, did it hurt. But yeah, so that's that's my prediction for today. I know there's a lot of questions on the lineup because of, one, Joseph Martinez being out for the next six to eight weeks, and also just who's going to be the center back pairing, I think is another big question too. Yeah, so obviously we're going to get into Atlanta a little bit here. They do have a lot of injuries. Ozzy Alonza, who you haven't really seen play a whole lot of games, but obviously MLS star. Um, at, at the end of his career here, and uh, and now it looks like his career may be over after uh, completely blowing out his knee. Um, yeah, a ton of injuries. Tiago Almeida, who I bought a little while ago. Hopefully he's coming back soon. Joseph Martinez is out. Um, wait, not not Tiago Almeida. Uh, Ar- Arujo. Arujo. Um, he is out and hopefully coming back soon. Um, so where are we with injuries? Where are we with uh, with the team? You know, are, are we really where we want to be yet? I think I've actually been really impressed with the team given to persevere through a lot of these injuries so far. So to, this is kind of crazy, but in the past four seasons in a row, Atlanta's had a player tear an ACL and be out for the season. So it was Breck Shea, Joseph, Heinemann, and now Alonzo. I know on Twitter there was a lot of people questioning what's going on in training, but to be honest, I think only one of those injuries happened in training. That was Heinemann. That's when we had Heinze, and I think a lot of people would understand that. Yeah, that's he was kind of driving the players into the ground with his training methods. But it's just been a lot. The other games where it's just been injuries during the game. It's it's awful to see for any player to to be out like that. I for I really hope maybe this isn't Alonzo's last season, but it's very understandable just given that his age and to have that type of injury. But maybe we'll see him back for a game or two next year just as a farewell. But yeah, I mean, we also, Arujo, he's out. Rosetto, he's out. Heinemann's still recovering. I think he's listed as questionable, but it sounds like they're going to actually play him with a reserve team first before they put him into the to the first team for actual live minutes. And then... By the way, I just think... really quickly, Atlanta 2 plays Pittsburgh in like two weeks, so maybe we'll get to see Oh, really? Them. Yeah, they come up here. Yeah, they didn't do too well last night. I think they won. They lost like four nothing to Detroit City and got two red cards. So yikes! That, not a good showing. <laughs> yeah, not a good showing. But it's 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 a young it's a young team with yeah. a lot of academy players. I think the the point there is just to get them playing, not necessarily win every game, although they probably want to. We're but yeah, I think it's um, okay. but it's been tough. But they've persevered. They've managed to string together quite a few wins and a lot of just good draws 
the one game we lost, Colorado, was when Alonzo was out at the last minute, and we had to play George Campbell as a defensive midfielder, which I wasn't too big of a fan of, as well as we're missing some other players. Honestly, to me, I wasn't too surprised that Joseph had to have that surgery to just clean up his knee. He had a lot of issues when he went through the original surgery to the point where he even almost considered retirement, which is just crazy. He So just to be out six to eight weeks, there's a lot of opportunity for some other players to fill into that, that center forward role. And there's a lot of attacking power on that team. There definitely is a ton of attacking power on the team. So I want to get your thoughts because we do know Joseph is out six to eight weeks. Who fills that role? Who steps into that spot? Is it kind of a by committee thing? Is it one specific player that has now get a significant upgrade? Where where do you think we uh, we stand there? Yeah, it's a bit, it's a big question I've been thinking about all week, and it really just ties into I think who shows up in training the most. So your options really are Dom Dwyer, who will be returning from a red card he got well against I think that was against Montreal. You have Jackson Conway, who's young player, academy product, has played well for the twos in the minutes he's played this season. I think he started one game and he scored a hat trick, albeit against a, a 10-man squad. And then there's a new signing. He's from Liga Mekis. He doesn't look like he's actually started too many games, but his name's Ronaldo Cisneros. I, I can't really say much about him because I don't know much. I haven't really seen him play that much. But personally, I think I'd like to see Conway get more opportunity. This is his chance to to really cement himself as the number two behind Joseph. And if he can if he can really start scoring some goals, you know, that could be really big for him. He honestly I thought he should have had a goal against DC United last week. He had a great open shot. He just whipped the kick. But those are the moments that as a young forward trying to cement your spot, you gotta you gotta take advantage of. Today, I, I actually have no idea who's going to be in that center forward spot. I think I'd like it to see Conway, but I could, I could realistically see Dom Dwyer there too. Yeah, I think I picked up actually a Dwyer off of the news of Joseph being out six weeks because I thought he was the natural replacement. And I thought he's an MLS veteran that has been very successful in the past. If you go back, not like in the last two years, but if you go back a long way, he was actually the a record trade at, at the time when he went from Kansas City to Orlando. They paid the most money that, that anyone has ever paid at that point. So I was kind of expecting Dwyer to get in there. The Jackson Conway's an interesting shot as well, and, and he obviously got got a little a little chance against uh, the. Um, so if I'm if I'm setting an Atlanta stack, who do I want in my team? Obviously, we get Guzan as the goalkeeper, but where do we go? defender midfielder forward and extra and we're going to assume that money is not not a thing Um, okay we have an unlimited budget we're still going to like if a player is overvalued and they drop in price that's still a bad thing but we're going to assume you have an unlimited budget so definitely robinson as your defender Mm -hmm. he has been an absolute rock for atlanta for the past two three seasons now and he's also national team right so you have that utility there your midfield, your midfield is where it gets very interesting. So if I remember correctly, I think Arujo's is this card a forward or is he a midfielder? He's I a forward this it. year. He is a forward. So it depends on where Almada, if Almada is listed as a midfielder, then yes, I, I definitely have Almada as, as my choice. And then assuming Joseph is healthy, I would have Joseph as my forward. I would probably put Joseph as my forward, but that's some bias right there. But he's been able, I mean, when he's healthy, he's very good. I think the problem is, is that really he hasn't been healthy too often in the past season and a half. I definitely, but so we'll, I'll, I'll put a pin in Joseph and then I'll get back to him. But so we have Guzan, we have Robinson, Almada, you definitely have Arujo. And then I think you just cycle between Moreno or Joseph, depending on how Joseph is looking recently or how Moreno's been playing. There's a really big question right now because both Moreno and Almada play the, can play the 10. I think that's their natural position. Yeah. And right now, I believe Moreno's been playing the 10 and Almada's been on the left wing. That could very well change. I think I was even reading like Doug Robinson, who's the beat reporter for Atlanta. He was even thinking there's a possibility that could Moreno be eventually moved if they just find that Almada is the, the more natural fit and then they want someone that's a more natural left winger. 
I, I don't know about that. But for now, at least that's that's the stack I'm putting together. And I think that's one that I'm pretty confident will net me some some rewards. Does does Brooks Lennon enter this conversation at all for you? So Brooks is interesting because right now he's been playing at the right wing position. He does have he's been having a great season so far. It's just last year he was very all place because of that defender position and because they're pushing him up high so much. I think if you're just looking for if you are trying to find one more player who is going to be maybe getting you a decisive maybe Brooks, but then there's that whole bias where or that whole problem where he's a defender and if he's losing a possession at time and he's not getting you a goal or an assist his scores are going to tank and it's the whole fullback problem that we have and we see week in week out yeah i think that's a definitely good point that that brooks is uh if he had a maybe a midfield card he might be kind of more in that conversation because that's a big problem with gressel as well his defender card is just horrible because he gives away the ball so much but he makes so many things happen. Like the whole offense th- flows through Gressel. So, yes, you want to have I him think, in your team. But, yeah, it's definitely risky. I think uh, I saw a stat. Brooks was one of the top, like one of the leaders in MLS for crosses into the box last season. Yeah. And I think if he if he could just get really on, on this, like, you know how Gressel and Joseph just seem to have this uncanny, really, like uncanny uh, cohesion? when it came to those crosses to Joseph, if Brooks could get that same cohesion with Joseph or whoever the center forward is, then yeah, hundred percent I'll buy Brooks Lennon's card. Yeah. I think that's a great point. Um, so yeah, we're, uh, we're going to wrap it up here shortly because the game is going to start pretty soon. Um, but just really quickly, I want to get kind of your impressions of what's gone on for the early season. Has there been any team outside of Atlanta that's, that's maybe surprised you in a good way or a bad way, and then uh, maybe just a little bit of what do you expect kind of moving forward, whether that be from Atlanta or from, from anybody else or from the league in general um, as we kind of wrap it up here. Yeah, Houston's been surprising, and they're getting more players this summer. So yeah. I think they have new new management or new owners yeah. who are finally putting in the investment, and they're doing it right because they're picking up Mexican players for a market that has a – very large Hispanic population. A lot of them are fans of the Mexico national players. So they've surprised me so far. I think they won 4-3 yesterday against San Jose, and they're bringing in Hector Herrera over the summer, who I think will be a great player for them. I'll continue to monitor t- because, yeah, like I just Houston has been traditionally that team that everyone forgot about over the past years, including the ownership. So <laughs> it's great to finally see them breaking out. Yeah, I think that's a great point, and and I know we don't talk a lot about Houston here, um, but definitely one to keep an eye on, especially when they do get Herrera in there. Nashi, do you have any other last minute questions here? Oh, mate, that was really interesting. No, I, I got, um, I'm getting tempted to jump on the market and start get get an Atlanta stack now. But I don't know. <laughs> Remember what we talked about earlier, Nashi? All the prices are going down. You gotta wait, patience, man, patience. And I'm I'm too, I'm too impulsive. We I'm a. Uh, in poker, you call the guy who's like acts on his impulses and emotional. Like they 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 call him like fish. I'm definitely a fish in Soria. I'm uh, I'm too emotional. I'm too tied to it. I need to need to be like you guys, more level headed. I don't know if I would describe myself as level headed, but sometimes I can have patience. Let's let's put it that way. <laughs> um, so we really really appreciate Thomas for coming on the podcast today. Uh, you can find him at MLS underscore Soria Scout. Wait. Did I say that right? Yeah, that's that's right. Okay, I, I get it backwards and confused all the time. Um, so you can definitely find him on there. And again, a great follow um, if you're looking for some original pr- uh, pricing information on MLS cards. He is the man to ask those questions to. But I appreciate you guys all, all hopping on the, uh, the pod today. You guys have a wonderful rest of your week. Hey, thanks, y'all, for having me. Hey, good stuff, lads.